Father, I pray that today we would be so encouraged by your gospel that whatever our current circumstances may be, we would know that by the power of the Holy Spirit and your promises that we do abide in you and are bearing much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We may be seated. <clears throat> well, abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What a provocative statement in an age of self-help and do-it-yourself religion. Notice Jesus doesn't say, hey, try harder. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you better abide or else. You better abide. No, he doesn't say, do your best and I'll do the rest. Jesus simply says, abide in me. It's a descriptive statement. Today, I want to talk about three things. One, I want to talk about what does it mean to abide, because this is awfully confusing in our do-it-yourself society. A little tight, was freaking out, and you know. Two, what does abiding in Jesus uh, often look like? And then three, what does that mean practically for us and our mission here at Calvary St. George's, especially as we go forward into the fall? Well, to abide, first of all, is to, in the Greek, it means to dwell, to reside or remain. In the Greek, it's not an active verb about what you do. To abide is a passive verb. So what Jesus is saying here, right in me, is he's saying, live in me. Live in me through faith. Branches, if you ever take a look, branches, they don't do anything but stay connected to the vine. This is very simple. But it's the most important thing in the world because apart from the vine, as Jesus says, apart from me, you cannot do nothing. Branches, they die apart from the vine. Just like we die apart from Christ. So to abide in Christ, when does that begin? Well, to abide begins at your baptism. When you were united with Christ through the Holy Spirit, by way of a promise, you were marked by the Holy Spirit and sealed as Christ's own forever. And this promise then gives you faith, the gift of faith. And as a branch connected to that vine, you receive all that God has to give you. All of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his love, which is what you need to see you through the challenges and difficulties of this life. Which is what you need to see you through death itself. Ben on his podcast was talking about Brian Wilson and uh, the other day. And I mean, grace and mercy, love and mercy, to quote St. Brian Wilson, is what you need tonight. And this is what you get because you abide in the vine. You abide in Jesus. And this is my first point. To abide in Christ, never forget this, is a passive action. 
This is a description, not a prescription. To abide is not something you do, gritting your teeth as your vein tightens along your neck, but it's a statement of who you are united to him. As a living graft where Christ gives us everything, living water, living bread, his very self, so that we might bear fruit. However, what does abiding actually look like then in the day-to-day life? I mean, description and prescription, but what, what does it look like practically speaking? Well, I hope to illustrate this to you by contrasting two types of pruning that go on in the world of horticulture. And I know this because my dad was a bit of a gardener when I was growing up. And, um, and outside of our house, we had a series of bushes, a series of bushes. And my dad, some years, would trim them into like perfect circles. And then there would be other years, they would be perfect squares. And, you know, and they were trimmed back for beauty and looks, not for fruit. These bushes looked great. But the fruit was always these little, like, worthless, withered berries. Like my dad with those bushes, we tend to trim our lives, or at least hope God will trim our lives for looks. You know, make me look pious. Make me look like I'm interested. Make me look nicer. Make me look like something I'm not. And then the crazy thing is, is that we tend to project this on others. However, to abide in Christ means, as Jesus says, as a branch, you will be pruned. Remember one time in chapel, this guy was praying, Lord, prune us, Lord, prune us. And this wise old bishop from South Carolina, Fitzsimmons Allison, he just stood up and he was like, would somebody stop praying that? Because if trees could scream, and you know, and it's true, you know, you're going to get pruned, but don't pray for it, it's happening. But the way God prunes is that he prunes for fruit. So contrary to the bushes in the front of my house, behind our house were these massive orange groves. And after, during, like, in February and March, I mean, they would be loaded with bright, beautiful oranges and grapefruits and lemons. And as a kid, we'd go back there and pick some of them and throw them at each other. But anyway, you know, and uh, but th- it was just stunning. And then after the harvest season, towards the end of March, early April, the farmers would prune back these orange trees basically to nubs. It wasn't for beauty. Upon first glance, you'd look at those trees and you'd go, man... Would they ever produce fruit again? Did that farmer make a mistake? But these farmers, they were pruning not for beauty, they were pruning for fruit. And every year these trees would grow back and they produced even more fruit. And I know because my allergies paid for it every year. But this is what abiding in Christ looks like. This is what it means for a descriptive. Abiding in Christ, pruned for fruit. You know, this is, this is what it looks like. Sometimes our Christian life looks like it's February and March in the old orange grove. And there's fruit all over the place. And you're like, thank you, Lord. Then, sometimes, 
It looks like your life has been pruned back to a nub. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe that's why you've come back to church. And you're like, what in the world is the vine dresser doing? You're wondering what in the world is God up to? Did he make a mistake? Maybe you've asked, why am I experiencing such misfortune? Why is God so far away from me? When in reality, he's really close. And he's doing his work. This is my second point. Contrary to the American God, contrary to the God of Disneyland, that teaches, you know, if you're just good and you do your part, God should do his and make all your dreams come true. You know, that's not the God of the Bible. Sometimes, to abide in Christ is to have your life trimmed back to a nub. However, the cross assures us that abiding in Jesus, while life can be a mess, life can even be tragic, the cross assures us that in the midst of it all, this is not a sign of God's absence, but actually the sign of his very presence, his redemptive presence, working through all things to bring about your good and his ultimate glory. God at work pruning away the idols and dead branches of our lives so that we might produce the fruit of faith, the only fruit that actually lasts. I'm going to ask the guys if they'll put the image up on the wall. God willing, it works. There it is. That is a replica of a 15th century icon called Jesus the True Vine. Jesus the true vine. And if you can see it closely, I mean, it's not clear, but from his pierced side, there is, it's a little creepy, but, uh, they, you know, that's all right. But uh, from his pierced side is this amazing vine growing out of him. And it wraps around the cross, and then there are all these amazing, just grape, grape fruit. Or the, no, fruit, there are grapes. How do you say it? Anyway, and, uh, anyway, and there he is, and he's squeezing, and he's squeezing the grapes into the chalice there. You know, and you see, this is what it is. This is how it actually works. It's a little gritty. It's a, little, it's a lot gritty, the Christian faith. But this is the image of how it all works. The love that flows from the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, to the branches, you and me. Who, although we may not experience it or be feeling it, we are actually alive in Jesus Christ. You see, it's this love that flows forth from the wounded side of Jesus that grasps the cross and then comes to you by the Spirit, the water and blood, from the font to communion, from the sweet gospel that hits your ears right now that proclaims that God is for you and that your sins are forgiven. And that despite ourselves and what we see, he is at work pruning our lives into something glorious. Because God loves us so very, very much that Jesus, by his spirit, cannot help but bear fruit in our lives. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. If 
we were to encounter ourselves in the resurrection, we might be inclined to worship. This is what it is to abide in Christ. And this is my third point. And I think this really begins to set and define our mission as a church as we go forward. It's been our mission as a church. But you see, we live in a world, and we definitely live in a city defined by proving. Prove, prove, prove. We're in a culture, you know, prove you're worthy of this job. Prove you're woke enough. Prove you're worthy of love. This is even in the church, as I illustrated earlier. Prove you're really a Christian. Prove you're abiding. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and be my disciples. See, abiding is never about proving. Just being. Being disciples, with all the ups and downs that go with it. So what does this mean for Calvary St. George's? Well, here's what it means. The world can't see Christ. They can't necessarily see faith either. But what they can see is the fruit of love. And let me tell you, there's a lot of fruit in this church. For Christ is the vine, and we are the branches, ever the fruit to bear. And abiding in that vine, we will be. Amen. Now let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God.